Blog Talk Radio. Salon. Um, this evening we have as our guest Dr. Randall Horton, Assistant Professor of English at University of New Haven, who originally hailed from Birmingham, Alabama, um, former resident of Washington, D.C., and is a former recipient of the Gwendolyn Brooks Poetry Prize. His first book, The Definition of Place, was a finalist for the Main Street Rag Book Award and was published in their Editor's Select Series in 2006. Dr. Horton is the current poetry editor of Reverie, Midwest African American Literature and co-editor of Fingernails Across the Chalkboard, Poetry and Prose on HIV AIDS from the Black Diaspora, published by Third World Press in 2007. He's also the editor of Four Children's Anthology. He received his undergraduate education at both Howard University and University of the District of Columbia, where he received his bachelor's in English. He has an MSA in creative writing with an emphasis in poetry from Chicago State University and a PhD in creative writing from SUNY Albany. He is a Cade Canem Fellow and his poem, Fiction and Nonfiction, appear in Motif. Writing by Ear, Mosaic, Black Renaissance, Craft Orchard Review, and the Red Clay Review. He is currently working on critical essays that explore the impact of cultural memory and trauma memory and poetics. He is on a poetry panel at the CDC conference um, on September 21st. Good evening, Randall. How are you? Hey, Sherry, how are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Pretty good. Thank you. Thank you. I guess I should also mention to the audience that Randall is a former student of mine. When I first started teaching I at UDC, when <laughs> <laughs> I first started teaching at UDC, coming back to UDC, I'm also an alumni of UDC, by the way, coming back, and I, when I first started teaching here um, as an assistant professor, uh, Randall was one of my first students. And I saw right away, I was like, okay, this guy is going to be a superstar. And I haven't been proven wrong yet. So you are you are definitely what we would call a shooting star. Shooting star. So, yeah, it, was good, it was good being in your class. I enjoyed that class, by the way. I, I, yeah, I think I had two classes, maybe. But I know I had to do Yeah. Yeah, I think it was actually it was American Lit One and Two actually. Uh, yeah, exactly. American Lit One and Two, and so that was actually a very good experience. And of course, 
as you know how I do, uh, you know, I always have my own spin, my own way of, of doing it. And exactly. uh, I guess to some people it was a little shocking, but, you know, given the... I love, I love given the away, <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, if you're yeah. not... If, if, if you're not engaged... That, 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 that also um, sort of, like, enters my... You know, got me to bug in my teaching, too. So I like, you know, I sort of was watching how class was formulated, you know. I So and I, I thought I would enjoy that aspect of it as well. So, you know, you gave me that yeah. blueprint. Well, yeah, and I know, I know for sure. I was, uh, I know for sure. I was the first person to teach, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, a, a, a Pinero play, you know, short eye. You know, I knew yeah. nobody else was going to be doing that. Um, that's actually, and, that's actually, I, I, I use that play all the time. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching it this semester in the prison lit class. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm gonna have to take a look at that syllabus and, and learn something. From you. Learn something from learn something from you, you know, because you know I'm always looking for new and innovative ways of you know teaching teaching yeah. uh, American American lit. And, but I mean, isn't I mean, isn't that the point though? I mean, we're at the point now when we think about what does how do we define you know English studies? How do we define exactly. you know, English departments? Right. You, you know, we we can't go back. It's a broad there's a broad spectrum of literature that goes under American, you know, and so quote unquote. Um, and I think, you know, that's the that's always the battle to get, you know, to you know, to make that happen or to continue to let make that happen, you know. So Right. And 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 that's the thing. I mean, I I'm most appreciative of, of of having the opportunity to read the canon, so to speak, or read what was the canon. What we consider to be the canon now would not have been considered the canon 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, I'm Yeah, I'm I'm appreciative of it, but at the same time. How we define, you know, American? What, you know, what is an American? So, reading Miguel, um, you know, Pinero is just as American as reading William Faulkner. Um, exactly. You, know, and exactly. you, you got to read them both. You know, I know that. No, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have there was a student I had when I was. Um, a couple, a couple of semesters ago, no, more like a couple of years ago, uh, who seemed to be a little resistant to that idea of, well, why do we have to read the, you know, quote-unquote dead white males? And I was just like, you need to read it all. Well, you, you know, know, you don't have to read it all. I mean, you look at you look at some of the great writers. You look like you look at uh, Baldwin or Ellison, and you know, they 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 come from a tradition of writing. I mean, you learn from anybody, and so. Uh, James Joyce and the Pesky, those those guys influenced Baldwin and Ellison to a, to a larger extent, and so um, you know, you, and I you know even when I, and I and I had to break myself out of that when I began to write too. I had to understand that okay, it's good to immerse myself within that which which is comfortable to me, but at the same time, I need to understand you know the whole spectrum of writing, and so right. that, you know, and, and you know that comes through the literature, of course, so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, in order for me to to understand, you know, <laughs> my own, you know, my own direction, um, 
you know, and you know, what what was the point in you know, in, in writing about what I write about? I like to write about sex. Uh-huh. pretty much everybody knows that. You know, I like to write about sex, I like to write about um, you know, uh black female sexuality in particular. Um mm-hmm. and sometimes I like to write about, you know, white male sexuality. Um, you know right, right. It, it, well I kinda of, my attitude is is that, you know, if white people can write about us, um, we can write about them. Exactly. Um, and I think that I, I think that it's important that we, you know, that we kind of break, you know, break those rules. Because the other broken rule is that you know we're supposed to stay in our place. And I, but in order for me to be able to even get at understanding, well, where am I coming from? I need to come. I needed to read some, you know, some of these other influences. And who influences oh, no. me? Yeah, you no, know, no besides. Yeah, and I encourage yeah. people. You know, my students are trying to write outside themselves. I mean. And, and I look at it in terms of writing a persona. When you're writing poetry, when you step outside of yourself to examine something else in a certain way, I mean, I think there's something to stepping outside of yourself and, and looking at things from a different perspective. So when you come back to your own writing, your own stuff, your own interiority, mm-hmm. I think you have a, a you, you know, you develop different perspectives and new perspectives. And you can't mm-hmm. do that if you if you stay in put. So. Um, I think I like you know I like the idea of, of, of writing outside oneself, uh, especially persona. You know, even you know, um, which which I did in my first book. So you know, that was uh, something that I found you know to be a revelation coming out of it. Um, understand you know because I began to look at the poetry and the word, the language a little bit different, um, and I began to think about other different points of view. When I'm thinking of when mm-hmm. I'm writing, when I'm in the subject that I'm coaching, so mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I guess you know that's critical to step out outside oneself constantly. You know, right, right, right. So, how did you get on a poetry panel um, at the CBC? <laughs> how did I get on the poetry panel? That's an interesting question. Well. I've been on. Um, I've, I'm moderating this one. I put this one together, and so I've, I've been. Asked, I've been on a couple of them before. Uh, I have a friend of mine, Patrick Oliver. He he runs the Office Pavilion, and this year he um, he asked me to put together a panel. Um, and in con- you know, in conjunction with Howard University Bookstore, um, they had and so um, and so they had this idea to frame it around uh, this this critical book by this guy named Jeffrey Farmer, and I can't the, the title of the book, the exact title eludes me now. I think it's Words, Politics, and Poetry of the Civil Rights Movement, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And, and so, what I decided to do was invite um, uh, three poets, three 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 African American poets, um, Truth Thomas. Uh, whose whose book uh, just came out called Speak Speak Water, um, mm-hmm. and, and um, Frank X Walker uh, from Kentucky, uh, who has a book coming out. Well, he has several books. So he's he's, he's done a series on York. Um, it's called The Buffalo Dancing When Winter Come. And what York is about is the York was the guy who accompanied uh, Lewis and Clark on the expedition, right? So. <coughs> Yeah, and so he takes the he assumes the voice in Christian persona. He assumes the voice of York, and it's a historical account of York. So you never, so he's sort of like you never get to hear the York story, 
And so, which is very interesting, you know, just to get off topic for a minute, because as he was doing his research up in North and South Dakota, and on these Indian reservations, they had tributes to York. Like he was really, you know, he was really um, popular, actually. Uh, and you don't get that in American history, you know. And mm-hmm. so he's done mm-hmm. that kind of work. And so um, his latest book uh, is called, um, um, what is it, um, The Unghosting of Megar Evers. Yeah. And so yeah. it's a book about Megar Evers, and so he takes on the voices of Megar and Merle Evers, but then he juxtaposes it next to um, Byron De La Beckwith, the guy who killed Megar and his wife. So he, you get the racist point of view, and you get, you know, mm-hmm. Megar's point of view. And it's, it's, if you ever read um, uh, Blues from Mr. Charlotte by James Baldwin, then you can sort of yes, like I get have. a picture. Yeah, so you yes. so you see how Baldwin, you know, deals with both sides, right? And so that's what Frank right. is doing in that book. And, um, and my last uh, uh, panelist is uh, Jackie Jones Lamont, uh, who teaches at uh, uh, the University of Delphi in New York. And um, her book is her latest book is called Last Scene, mm-hmm. which is a very interesting uh, um, sort of like reimagining reimagining um, missing children of color, the ones who mm-hmm. never sort of you know who, who, who never who are never talked about. Um, and so, it's a very, it's a very, it's a very gripping book. Um, it, it, I, and I think it won some kind of, um, it, it won this contest from the University of Wisconsin Press to be published, uh, picked by Cornelia Beebe. And, mm-hmm. um, so I, and so I have them on there. So what they, we're going to be talking about uh, in a lot of ways is sort of how um, poetry of resistance, uh, politics, political poetry, poetry that deals with social conditions, sort of like, um, sort of how did that influence these writers? Um, you know, what are some of the ways some of these poets that this guy talks about, like Lucille Clifton, Amir Baracus, Tony Sanchez, Nicky Giovanni, to name a few. Um, mm-hmm. uh, how do these how do these writers, I mean, you know, sort of influence your work? How do they open doors? Uh, because, you know, one of the things uh, we acknowledge, even though, you know, it is, it is very difficult to get published and, um, you know, all that, it, it, it's it's a lot better than it was back, you know, back in the 60s and the 70s. And so what you have, you know, some people would even say that we're in the middle of another renaissance, actually. Uh, but, you know, what that name would be, no one would know. Uh, but I do know that we're in, uh, we're in activity, a time right now where there's a lot of activity. Um, African-American poets, poets of color in general, you know, I think um, some of these um, sort of, quote, unquote, uh, towers are being, you know, either knocked down or another house being built around that tower, you know, one of the two. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, I mean, the the, the whole, you know, and I guess this is something that, you know, that that I'm, you know, presenting to my students, the idea that, you know, there's no such thing as a, you know, as a work that, you know, that comes out of the vacuum, you know, it comes from comes from somewhere, someplace. Right. And, uh, you know, the the you know, political, yeah, the, the, yeah, well, the, the, the political um, environment, the current um, social economic situation, you know, I think it's woken some people up. And uh, so it's not a surprise to me that we're beginning to see 
people beginning to, um, you know, to, you know, to come through and to come out with, you know, with, um, you know, poetry, uh, you know, poetry like that. And you mentioned uh, something about, you know, the difficulty of being able to, you know, to get published. How is it? I mean, what is, you know, this this million one, you know, poetry, you know, uh, you know, poetry journal. But there's always that question of, can I get my book of poetry out there? Right. You know, who's the audience? Who's, well, first of all, who's reading the poetry? Who's reading poetry? Well, I mean, you know, of course, all the poets are reading. You know, that's, you know, that's the first and foremost. All the aspiring poets are reading, people who want, and that's what I tell. And then let me just go back a minute, um, sort of like when you talk about the literature and all that kind of stuff. Uh, in terms of the decline, you know, all of that. You can always tell the social condition of a nation, you know, by the literature it produces. It produces. Here, so, here, here, here. You know, yeah. and so we're always responding to the, that which is around us, either conditioning us or trying to construct us that we, you know, you know, resist. And so, um, you know, that's one thing I wanted to get. I wanted, you know, sort of. I mean, when you were talking about that. Um, the audience, you know, and that's and that's a tricky thing. I and I and I talk about this in terms of you know uh, bridging the gap. You know, there's sort of like this academic community where you know, of course, the people in the academy, you know, are going to be you know reading your work, putting it on course syllabus, and sort of trying to teach your work. So, you know, one is always aware of that if that you know is something that you you know. You think about, you know, you shouldn't really think of nothing about your writing, but that's one audience. Uh, there's a, but there's mm-hmm. another audience. There's a community. Um, the community is large, um, and as writers, we have to sort of ask ourselves, what is our, you know, what is our purpose as a writer, you know? And you know, for mm-hmm. me, one of the things I began to learn early on was that writing was a way for me to sort of give back, sort of to, to, to like, um, yeah, give back, teach. Uh, the people who necessarily, you know, who necessarily would read poetry to sort of come at it like I came at. I came at poetry in a very unorthodox way. It wasn't necessarily through, you know, the walls of the academy. And so mm-hmm. that, and, and, and it was only through that that I began to sort of begin to sort of change my life. So I know, mm-hmm. you know, I know that there, you know, you know that, you know, sort of like, sort of like the written word or the art in general, you know, has a place in the community. So there is, uh, you know, there, you know, there, there, there's a, there's a, a audience there, and so, um, and I think if one sort of like places oneself in those situations, the work sort of like comes out of that, and so you'll find that you'll find those poems for that audience, or you'll, you know, and 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 it's going to be a more organic process. Whether trying to say, okay, well, I'm gonna write for this and I'm gonna write for that, you know, I don't know how successful that can. You know, I'm not saying it can't be, but for me. You know, I tend to do it. You know, the, you know the other way, sort of more uh, holistic, organic way. I guess I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you know, I've come to find out that there are audiences, and sometimes you cultivate your audience by the things that you do as well. Yeah. You know, I do a lot of work with young yeah. kids, and so through that, I've you know developed you know uh, relationships with different communities and different cities. And so, you know, when I'm doing things, you know, they're always very supportive of my work. Um, and so that's how you get to, you know, and that's one of the ways, you know, to get, to make people aware of what you're doing. Um, you know, because poetry, you're talking about poetry is a very small medium. 
you know, and so that's what is it was never meant to be a large medium in terms of that. Talking about poetry, prose, perhaps maybe a different thing, um, but um, I don't know. Like I said, well, I, I think I think there are audiences who are both. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, I, you know, I think in, in like in, I think in my case, you know, as you well know, I mean, I have a uh, I have a couple of pieces in in um, in Reverie from from uh-huh. 2010, um, uh-huh. right. and those are my first published pieces. And it's not that I've never written poetry before. And it's not that mm-hmm. I have you know that I've never gone for It's not that I've never had the opportunity to share my work. Uh-huh. Let's just say that I've never really had the opportunity to, to really connect with like-minded people, and it really that really has has not happened for me until I had all but abandoned my own, you know, poetic voice. It's been years since I had been, you know, since I had looked at my my poetry, and mm-hmm. it, I was almost afraid of it. I was almost afraid of it. And so, you know, now that, you know, now that I've been able to kind of, you know, kind of push it out there, you know, I have that, you know, that, you know, I have that, 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 in, that inspiration. But I think you are right that, you know, you know, who are we writing for? And one of the anxieties that I've, you know, that I've always had was, okay, all right, this might sound good to, you know, to, to, to an untrained ear, to somebody who's not necessarily what you would call a, um, you know, a, a, you know a, a, a poet or a trained, uh, a, a trained lyricist. But what about those who are trained? You know, what about those who are trained in, in high form, high poetic form? You know, uh, you know what does this sound like? You know, this you know, it sounds it doesn't sound real. Does it sound like it's you know like right. there's something there, or is it, or is it just? Well, I think and of course you know part of yeah part of the problem. Well, actually, the problem, the whole part of what you you know what your what your experiences are, what you relate to me is what I've heard a lot of you know people that you know were writing and sort of like okay, I put it like this. You know, I said, I went to Chicago State to study with Hakeem Mahmoud. He told me, you know, one of the things he, he, he writes about, he talks about, is a writer should write alone, but he should never be alone. He should never be alone. And, 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 and so within that, I'm saying that, you know, there should be a community. And so there wasn't a lot of communities. There were very small communities. And when you start talking about people that want to understand where you're coming from, with cultural references, cultural markers, metaphors, and whatever have you may present right. them. Uh, that's huge. Um, and so uh, Kave Kahnem, uh which was uh, sort of founded by uh, Cornelius Edie and uh, Toy Derrick in 1996, sort of began to sort mm-hmm. of change the landscape and sort of begin to uh, become a place where, you know, uh, African, poets, African-American poets could come and talk about craft and what they did was they recruited um, Elizabeth Alexander, you know Elizabeth Alexander, um, to deliver the inaugural poem at uh, Obama's address. Uh, and so she, she was now she's a Pulitzer. She, her book was a father for the Pulitzer. Elizabeth uh, Clifton, Tony Sanchez, Jeff Mayaka. They begin to get these writers to come in and to commit in the summer to spend a week 
with these fighters to sort of like tell them what they're doing, the things that they never had. And so mm-hmm. what you begin to have is sort of like this rippling effect. Each year you begin to teach more and more people, and so it becomes, and so that's what cops become, sort of like this little oasis. But you have to look at the whole, it's like an echo effect. Within those years, people have gone on to have confidence in their writing and have gone on to sort of like pursue careers in writing, and now some of them in positions of, you know, in universities where they're shaping minds and they're, they're like saying it's okay to write like this and it's okay to do and that. They're leading these workshops where other people are coming in and don't have to feel so self so insecure about their writing. Because I've been in it and I've seen them. You know, yeah. it would be a very scary thing if you're not comfortable in your own skin, you know, uh, yeah. which was one of the things yeah. I, I went to Chicago State. And that's one, that's one of the reasons I went uh, because it offered, you know, it was the only African-American censored uh, program that, you know, the basis MFA writing off African American literature. And so, consequently, you know, a lot of my workshop dealt with, you know, things like, you know, after, you know, you know African American censored. And so I got that critique from writers that, um, that I had admired. And so by the time I got in my PhD program, you know, I was the only person of color in every workshop, and it didn't necessarily matter to me if they got everything where I was coming from. I knew that I had had the confidence in my work to say, okay, well, you don't have to get it. I know it's okay. You know what I mean? I, I listen to everybody, right. and I want, I want to critique. But, I, you know, you have to feel good. You have to be feel, you know, good within your skin. And so that experience is even 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 students are, you know, people, writers who had the MFA experience and went to Kyle Economy, I went to Kyle Economy, their MFA experiences were very isolated. Right. Very isolated. Right. Um, and so um, that's a huge thing. But I think, and that's one of the ways which some of the, you know, Kyle Economy has, because it, does, it doesn't necessarily, you know, take poetry or writing academic poetry or it, it runs the gamut. You have more formal poets, more, you have performance, compute community-based people. So you have this mix. So what happens, what happens is when these people go back out into the communities or when they go back to where they come from, they begin to sort of nurture. And so that's why I say that there's this sort of thing that's going on right now. Because so the last two years you had, a, you had a person of color win the National Book Award. That has never happened. Terrence Hayes mm-hmm. said now you've had Nikki Chenney. Uh, then you just have Tracy, uh, Tracy Smith won the Pulitzer. And before that, right. Contra Trappelay. So that's an anomaly. If you look at the history of the Pulitzer Prize and the National Book Award, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, it's very, it's, 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 it's a rarity, and even when it does happen, like when Toni Morrison won, you know, you know, her Pulitzer, you know, it was such an up, uh, an uproar from some circles. It was something like, well, how is it that she could win a, a Pulitzer for, you know, for Beloved? And of course, my impression is that, well, I, I guess they didn't spend very much time reading Beloved in the first place. That, that well, you know pressure. what happened with—I don't know if that was with, with *Beloved* or the book before. Yeah, and one of them books is uh, the one of the books that he didn't win the NBA, either the NBA or whatever it was. They took out a full-page ad in the New York Times protesting because she had been mm-hmm. ignored for so long. All the writers signed it: John Gary Wilder, Marie, Marie Baraka. It's a full-page ad. I mean, a full-page. I mean, full-page ad. 
And that was before she won the Pulitzer. I mean, people was like, people get tired of just getting ignored. And she had had a body of work that was phenomenal by then. Right. Well, I you mean, know. I I think from the very, very, you know, from the very start, you know, she had her detractors, which... Well, yeah, I mean, but, you know, that's what, I mean, a lot of writers can't make that case, too. I should say that, you know, and, and not necessarily. I mean, writers, you know, of all, you know, of all creeds, of course. Uh, but, you know, uh, when you, when you know, one, you know, so I think now, you know, you're seeing a very, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a changing changing landscape in a lot of ways. You know, there's always work to be done, you know, so I don't know. It's um, mm-hmm. always work to be done. But, you know, I listened to some of the, you know, the people who uh, came before me and they talk about, you know, the climates and how they've seen things change in such a little in, 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 in the last 15 years or so. So um, there's definitely something happening. Now, who will, you know, you know, any, with, any, as with any time, you know, frame of when something going on, you never know when it is. And it always takes the next generation to sort of talk, start talking about these, you know, have these conversations. But I think, you know, it's not right. the Well, yeah, I, I mean, look, look at now. I mean, now, you know, there's, I, I don't think anybody would, would, would question, you know, beloved the place, you know, uh, you know, as a, you know, you know, as a, uh, you know, as yeah. a classic, you know. And, and, and regardless of who, I mean, you know, you know, yeah, because, you know, Morrison is another one. She studied the great. She studied Falcon. She studied Joyce. Um, yeah, I'm thinking of somebody, you know, and so she's coming from, you know, she's actually folks fun at all of them, you know, she, you know, very, you know, Marcia's very sly, you know, in her presentation of her work, she's always signifying on something, you know, <laughs> in a way, you know, you have to be, you have to watch her, but she's always right. signifying, you know, she does, she does it good to write in Baldwin, uh, not much right. write in Ellison, you know, so, um, yeah, and same thing with Faulkner too, so. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah! Wow. Um, so could you could you um, maybe talk a little bit about um, your your critic your critical essay collection um, that talks about um, the impact of cultural memory and and comic poetry as poetic? Well, I mean, it sort of started from my, you know I've got actually since I've got I got two projects starting started now, but. This one uh, is, you know, sort of based off my dissertation. It's called uh, Cultural Memory and Trauma in the Black Radical Tradition. And so, um, mm-hmm. and, and, oh, Distraction and the Moaning. And so mm-hmm. I play with moaning. It's, you know, I'm, it's, it's, and I base moaning off of Art Blakely and the Jazz Messengers, that's called Moaning. And I'll get to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I, I, so I make the case, like, I start with the argument with uh, Julian Mayfield, who uh, has an essay in, uh, uh, Addison Gale's um, uh, The Black Aesthetic, and it's called okay. Julia, Julia Mayfield's essay. is called You Touch My Aesthetic, I Touch Yours. And he talks about that, you know, he talks about the idea of, of the difficulty of sort of like talking about of, of saying what a black aesthetic is because, you know, one of the things, you if you know, you know, we talk about blackness, it's, not, it's, it's a non-monolithic entity. It's not, you know, it's not monolithic, it's non-monolithic, mm-hmm. and so there's, 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 there's so many layers to, to, one, what can, to what one can't consider blackness. But uh, and he says, central to that, if one is one that identifies blackness, then there's no escaping the racial memory of who we are, where we, you know, you know, where we come from, you know what I'm saying? And so 
it's yes, always I do. The racial, yes, I do. Yeah, and so it's the racial memory that I'm getting at, which is central to, um, you know, a bunch of things when you start talking about the African-American vernacular tradition. Um, you start talking about the field holidays. You start talking about blues um, and jazz and, 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 you know, the sermon and things of that nature. You come always come up from a place of trauma and pain. And so I'm saying that that's a that's a point of a discovery with that that moan that that moaning or that echo mm-hmm. of that moan is a place of sort of discovery. And so I uh, look at it in terms of and so I I look at it from a critical or theoretical lens through uh, Jack uh, Derrida Jackson Derrida mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. has this essay called Differant. And mm-hmm. so and, and within the two the two polemics of Differant, so he uses spelling. To, to, to negate, to sort of use one as sort of like you think in terms of, if you think in terms of the dominant narrative as one, yeah. then the other is that the residual of the residue from that dominant narrative is, is the other different. And so that's the people that's the people of oppression. And oftentimes, in sort of when people oppress people, are things that have been oppressed sort of like go against that dominant narrative, they, they sort of begin to what he calls play. They play, they play. And so I'm saying within a, within a black tradition language, against the dominant mm-hmm. narrative to sort of create that echo, you know what I'm saying, you know, whether silent or whether, you know, obvious within, um, within poetry. And so I sort of like use Art Blakely and the Jazz Messenger's uh, cut moaning to sort of like deconstruct or he construct that whole polemic within Derrida's difference. Um, yes. In terms of within a jazz structure, there's always going to be a dominant chord, sort of like a real a repeating theme, a repeating theme. And mm-hmm. you think of that in terms of our culture, in terms of the dominant narrative, in terms of the images and the things that which they try to constantly promote or instill upon us uh, as that repeating chord. And so what jazz does oftentimes and sort of like go against that and create that break or that cut, you know, that play mm-hmm. within, within music to create that, that space. And that's that moan or that echo that allows for sort of like an aesthetic freedom, if you have, you know, have you. So I, I talk about how the performance of Bobby Timmons and Lee Morgan. Bobby Timmons is the keyboard player. And so he sort of creates the dominant narrative, right? He sort of sets the, the dominant tone through sort of like this repeating chord. But what's so interesting about it is because he comes from it from a gospel tradition within that chord. So that's mm-hmm. already, you know, interesting, interesting to me because he comes from the church. He, he grew up, yeah. in, you know, grew up in the church, playing in the church. Lee Morgan is a very unformal, untrained, but brilliant musician, you know what I mean? And so yeah. what he does is he steps inside of Bobby Timmons' sort of arrangement with these loud shrieks, and I say that's the sort of like to initiate the cut, or sort of play, and sort of to create that mm-hmm. music that we can call jazz in a way. And so I'm saying we can do that with poetry, with language in a way too. And sort of like if we if we sort of like think about how do we switch up the narrative, how do we go against sort of like the repeating narrative within poetry, sort of you know mm-hmm. with black you know sort of like avant garde does, but you know, but, you know, Amir Baraka makes the, the interesting analogy when you start talking about what avant-garde is. It is nothing but the performance of black. 
Right. You know what I mean? And, and, yes, and I do. Of, you know, yes, yeah, I do. Yeah, in terms of how black is always sort of rearranging itself in many forms, how it's mm-hmm. non-monophysic. So, so that's how, well, you know, I mean, so, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you're, <laughs> I, it, and, and I recommend that you take a look at my chapter on, on Tony Morrison's jazz. You know, okay. that whole, you yeah. know, yeah. because, yeah, because, you know, to me, I mean, it sounds like what you, you, you're getting at is that whole question of, you know, the funk of life, you know, um, uh-huh. the, you know, that, 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 that rhythm, that, that, you know, that erotic rhythm, really. Right, right. And even, even as, as one is expressing sorrow or lamenting, you know, it's, the demand to the audience that you listen. I am alive. I'm living. I'm here. You know mm-hmm. that basic beat, the beat of the heart. You know that's what yeah. I'm feeling with that. Right. Definitely. And interesting. I forgot. And one thing I actually forget when you mentioned Morrison. I actually you we started talking about cultural memory. What is that in terms of? How, how it's performed. And I looked mm-hmm. at two instances within, you know, of literature. And the one of them is The Beloved. And, you know, and it's, and it's another one is Richard Wright's Native Son. And I'll talk about uh, Native Son first. Uh, it's the moment when Bigger is bringing Mary Dawson up the stairs when, mm-hmm. when, he's, when she's in a drunken stupor and he's laying her down in the bed. And the minute he lays her down in the bed, her grandmother opens the door. Now, her grandmother mm-hmm. her grandmother is blind. She can't see nothing. But still, mm-hmm. it's the idea of being in the, in, the, in the early part of the 20th century, being in a white woman's room, you know, that has Bigger so terrified that he places a pillow over so that she, and she's already asleep. So it's that mm-hmm. memory, it's that racial memory that forces them to do that, which is that you know that that irrational thing, and sort mm-hmm. of like you know, and, and so when he when he when he kills Mary, and the other instance is in Beloved, uh, when Seth <clears throat> uh, is faced with the idea of returning her her daughter to uh, her kids to free, I mean to uh, uh, to slavery. Or not, and she decides to kill her baby. Mm-hmm. So he goes against the narrative. And she 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 refuses to allow that narrative to take place. He goes against right. it. And why? It's because the memory. It's the memory. It's that, it's that cultural memory of that trauma that's affecting her. You know. So. Right. Man. And so you well, know that's why I love I love I love using literature illusions, things like that. Right. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, memory has a has kind of a funny way. I mean, it it, it can take you it can take you to uh, you know to, to many many places. In some places where you know you're not really able to to I guess take control of you know of that of that place. And so whether right, right. it be you know the the whole question of well you know are you you know is it a memory of of, of love is it a memory of trauma 
Um, and right. I think in your case, you're, you're, you're primarily talking about trauma. You but, know, you know, these two limits are these, you know, the model can stand in for you can You can place a lot of things within that model now. And so I, I see where you're coming from, and I'm saying you're not wrong either, you know, so. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, you know, there's that, that, you know, because where I'm, where I'm coming from is that, you know, we we remember trauma, mm-hmm. but we also remember joy, mm-hmm. and that is is and and that's also important. And I think that when it comes to Morrison, I think that that's definitely um, um, something to remember about that. Uh, you know, when it comes to her, that you know, she in beloved, she wants. Uh, to, to be able to, to see through the grandmother, you know, remember your flesh, remember your spirit, remember mm-hmm. your soul, remember that, you, remember that you are human being, you know, that you right. have passion, and right. those are that, and that's that. Well, that I think Martha does that with all of her care, with a lot of her characters that comes out. Don't you think so? Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking about even, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at, I'm thinking about Pilot and Song of Solomon. That's from, there's some, yeah. there's, even in, even in, even in, it, it, even in her circumstance, Morrison is able to bring that out, and I think that's the beauty of Morrison, you know. We well, yeah, try. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll then, try, right. <laughs> no, that's all right. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about making. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm thinking about about making dead. You know, making uh, dead junior actually. Um, and you know, and 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 guitar. You know. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, right. and of course, you know the the appearance of you know of of you know Sankofa, You know, you know towards towards the end. Uh-huh. You know, does he does he fly? Does right. he remember how to fly? Does his soul remember how to fly? Right. You know. You know right. that that's. You know that's 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 the question. That's that's not really. There's no answer to that. I mean, you know, I think Morrison at one point may have, you know, may have hinted that well, she felt like, you know, actually he, he did fly. You know. <laughs> I guess for some people they're like, okay, he, you know, he makes the makes the lead, you know, but you know, who's flying? Bodies, the soul, both, you know. So yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'm 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 looking forward to seeing this this um you know this this collection of essays. Um, it sounds to me like um you know you you're you're, you're definitely continuing you know that that conversation. Um, yeah. You know, and yeah. and, and, con- and continuing it, what seems to be, in my in, in my opinion, a, a very um, in, important work in terms of um, poetics. I guess we can call it that. You know. Um, yeah. In, in poetics, yeah. I mean, I think you know, you know, you know, I think there's not a lot of. Uh, I think Evie Shockley's book, uh, Renegade Poetics, um, just came out last year. And it's one of the first books in a, in a, in a few. And it's not a long line of, 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 of poet, uh, writers, writers talking about uh, uh, black poetics in a certain kind of way. Um, 
and so I think that that's interesting. You know, I'm obviously I'm interested um, in the music aspect of it, and so um, you know, I'm looking at you know doing things in conjunction with Alvin Eiler, who's sort of I'm more oh my God, saxophonist, um, mm-hmm. Conra, and, yeah. and you know, and so you know that's how I'm going to try to come at it um, in a lot of ways. But then I started these other essays which are interesting because I'm talking about craft, um, but it's to a writer. So I'm using the epistle form. And, but I'm also trying to, you know, sort of blend blend geographies and uh, temporal space, you know, temporal space. Um, and so they're very fragmented but jointed. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, and I, and I it's sort of like some, sort of almost like travel narratives. And so when I, you know, I, I sort of like, Use location as a backdrop to talk about aesthetic beauty, um, image metaphor, um, and, and I talk about the value of the object in, in, in piece of writing. So yeah. those have been that's been pretty interesting too. So I kind of like fell into that project, um, but it be sort of taking shape too. So you know, <clears throat> yeah, I, and I like the pose form, and, th- and with these, I'm a little bit more. Well, I I'm not even even that because I'm. I, they're all, they're all critical, but they're very lyrical at the same time. So I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I play, you know they, this whole idea of like what is a critical paper, you know, what is a critical uh, essay. So I'm definitely, um, I'm definitely playing with uh, the language in terms of even writing the essay. So I'm at play there, you know, I'm, I'm opposing the dominant narrative on that. So the act of writing it is, you know, the act is in opposition, act of opposition. So, right. I don't know, that's sort of like, uh, I kind of fell in love with this form for a minute, so I'm kind of stuck there, so we'll see. <laughs> well, I mean, speaking, speaking of form, I mean, when you when you look at form, um, and, you know, I guess for some people, for some people, writing, writing free form is, is easier, and for others, you know, um, close form is easier. Um if you were to say, you know, you know what, if you were to point to a particular kind of closed form, what kind of closed form would you say that you you were drawn to, towards the most as a poet? Ah, that's very interesting. Um, oh, I like the can zone. Um, I like. I like to play with sonnets um, a little mm-hmm. bit, uh, but I've mm-hmm. just discovered this. I've just, I've just discovered the canzone, which is sort of like a more. I think it's, I want to say it's Italian, but it's basically mm-hmm. more of a song. Um, it's a, more of a song, um, but yeah. this is repeating, repeating uh, words within different phrases of the song, and so within the poem, these 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 n words become homonyms, and so. They take on different meanings with each time, each word, and so it's very, it's a very lyrical, I mean, musical cadence to it. I actually like mm-hmm. that. I enjoy that. I also like the um, the Persian form, the, what they call guzzle, guzzle. Some people say guzzle, puzzle. I can't, you know, I can't necessarily the, the, correct, the correct pronunciation. You know, I can't do that. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, it's sort of like this. 
form that appears in couplets and um, the end word, the end phrase, or the end word is repeated on each line, but in different ways. And oh so, wow! Yeah, but it's sort well, of that's playing play with play with meaning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so you, it also it almost reminds me of the blues form in a lot of ways because of the way right. it repeats. So I think yeah. a lot of times I see a lot of poets when they're trying to get a work out something with a blues feel to it. They use mm-hmm. that form, and I and I kind of dig, I dig that, um, mm-hmm. you know. So I don't Very know. Very good. Very yeah. good. I you know, I tried my hand with that, um, you know, with with with, with, with sonnet. Um, you know, I tried my hand with, um, good lord, you know, with 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 ballads. I would say. I mean, I would say that for me, um, the Italian sonnet, you know, playing with that, um, you know, for me, um, it can be, it, 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 it's awfully tempting, awfully attractive. I must admit that, you know, I am a person who who enjoys free form, but even with free form, there needs to be a certain, there needs to be a certain rhythm, um, and and so I do. Um, a lot of repetition. Um, well, one of the ways to play with, with alliteration. Yeah, one of the ways to play with that too is spacing. You say sura, um, the idea of spacing to create that rhythm or that those pauses and breaks. Uh, and one right. of the things that I like with the sonnet as well, even if you're working with an iambic pentameter or a ten syllable count, you know, you don't necessarily have to stay true to the rhyme scheme. And I think. Um, you can get very creative or innovative. Um, I'm thinking about this girl named, uh, this, this poet named uh, Larry Stevenson um, has this book called Open Interval, and she plays with the idea, with the sonnets in very interesting ways, um, and even plays with the people, how they appear. I mean, but they're very, they're, they're, they're iambic, you know, metamorphic. Um, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. But they enjam very interesting ways. Um, so even with that, I mean, because one of the things, as we know, with any kind of freeform, at some point mm-hmm. it can or has, a, a, you know, a propensity to close this stuff off. You know, that's, that's, right. that's, that's what any, you know, we look at avant-garde or anything else becomes the form. It becomes a standard. Right. Then you need, you know, it becomes part of the tradition. You know what I mean? And so, um, yeah. So even within that, and so I think you can't, I think you have, I mean, for me, form is the way, you have to understand form, you know, mm-hmm. even when you're writing outside of form, understand what you're writing against or what you're not writing, or, you know, more so than, you know, what you're writing, you know. So, um, but, you know, I, I, I see poets wrestle with, you know, you don't let the form write to you. If the form ain't working for you, you know, step outside, it's okay to step outside the form. If you're writing a song and you need to add two more lines, Add two more lines, it just won't be a sonnet. No more can be couplets, you know. So, <laughs> you know what I mean. So, yeah, I, think, I do I think, actually. And I, and I think you have to be aware of those things and, and sort of like understand like it's okay to step out of step out of the form. The form is not working for you, but you know I think you know. And then sixteen is another good one, which is sort of a harder. It's a hard one to do. Um, you know how to you know the end words. Uh, I think it's seven lines stanzas, 
and then uh, the envoy is the last three lines, the four lines, whatever. But anyway, so we mm-hmm. see the N words. The N words appear in different placements um, in each stanza, and you can use you can you can get creative with how you use. Um, you know, I think you use rain. You can use you know rain is R E I N. You know what I mean, or something like that. So you can play with right. that as well. Uh, and I like the idea of using the form and playing with it. Yeah, I've uh, I've been experimenting a bit, um, a little bit with um, instant messages, chat messages. You know, you have you, know, you have conversations with people, and it it occurred to me when I was looking at this, looking at a conversation that I had with somebody recently. I was just like, you know, this looks like this could be a call. You know, you have, you know, you do have some, some poems where you have, you know, you have conversations. You know, it's usually what you see, you know, you see a one-sided conversation. Every once in a while you see somebody, you know, kind of play with, you know, the you know the two-sided, you know, conversation. Uh, you know, you'll have, you'll have whole dialogues sometimes. And I was looking at that and it's like, this has some possibilities here. And so I think I'm, I might, you know, uh, might experiment with that a bit. Um, and, and yeah, well, that's what, almost you like know. the contra. You know, there's a form called the contrapuntal, and it's you know, contrapuntal is really basically two opposing sounds of music that come together to make a, you know, another sound. Um, and so yeah. uh, there's you know you, you know there's these poems that you can read them two or three different ways because they appear. You know, one poem appears on one side, or another poem appears on another side. But you can read them. You can read it diagonally, or you can read it on down. And so it becomes mm-hmm. a way for you to blend voices. Uh, you know, um, you know, you blend voices, and so so you can create you know different dialogues with even within the poem. Um, right. So I think a lot of that. You know, I like interior dialogue. I like I like to sort of when I'm writing poems, I like to. Um, you know, we, you know, we, 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 I like to, uh, we critical thought into them, like uh, quote lines from like a, you know, critical essay or some point I'm trying to make so that I'm in conversation with somebody, even if I'm, you know, being satirical or playing with them, I'm still, you know, you know, so I think there's a way for, you know, found sex to be part of the poem, you know what I mean? So how does that yeah. happen? You know? So right. I think. Right. I think there's, you know, there's always the possibility of form, you know, so, and you know, that's, that's a challenge for the writer, you know, how do you figure that out, you know, so. Well, yeah, and, and, and then, of course, you know, I, I'm finding that, you know, the, the incursion of, of, of technology, um, you know, I'm finding that, you know, there are, there's there's much fertile ground. That's yet to be. That's really yet to be explored, you know. And I'm talking about, you know, you know, from a from a from a poet's point of view, what you know, what can you know we explore from the way that we communicate? Hell, even the way that we we, we friggin' Twitter. And as you know, I'm I'm very active on on, on Twitter, and I and, you know, and looking at some of the conversations, at some of them being quite unpleasant conversations. Nevertheless, um, speak a certain truth where uh, you know where a person happens to be. One of the things that I've always liked about Twitter is the fact that it's it's uncensored and un 
interrupted, you know, this is a thought, piece of thought. Why couldn't that be poetry? Why wouldn't that be poetry? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, so, and, and, and when you're talking about Twitter, Mahogany Brown uh, has a, a, a poetry collection of, 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 of Twitter posts that he sort of transcribed into this book. Uh, and so it's based off of this project that he did of, where she was, you know, because you only have a certain amount of characters to sort of like get it done. And so it became this whole project. So I think how do we look at media, you know, media, or social media in terms of, um, you know, integrating that into the poetic or social writing, all of that's fair game, you know, um, and, and, and and the things you do, you know, with that, you, you know, these different conversations. So I like the one about the email. I had a friend of mine that had a, had a bunch of them um, uh, dealing with emails mm-hmm. about um, HIV AIDS, which was very interesting. Um mm-hmm. Very interesting, Raymond Berry. Uh, matter of fact, yeah. it's in a, in a, as I said, in a book called Diagnosis. Diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. And yeah, and so I've always liked. I don't see a lot of that. Actually, I don't see a lot of that. Well, uh, I, I, I don't see. A, I don't see us as a community really talking about HIV anymore. We don't really talk about it. If we ever really had. I think we ever really did. I don't think we really talk about it. I think we, that's a whole other we talk around it. I know, you know, I know we don't. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. I, you know, I tried to um, I tried to do a, and I hate to talk about folks, but I just got to. <laughs> I tried to, uh, I, you know, I did, a, I did, a, I did an anthology uh, called Thinking Never Called the Chalkboard Portion Pros and HIV AIDS uh, yeah. from the Black Diaspora. But anyway, uh, a, friend of me and a, a friend of mine would put together this, um, um, this proposal to do something with the Birmingham school system uh, mm-hmm. centered around HIV-AIDS and, and, you know, and, and young kids, and, you know, making them aware and using the book as a teaching tool and bringing some bringing artists in. It was a dynamite proposal. Um, mm-hmm. And the thing that was disappointing, man, that they said that they wasn't ready for that, that they didn't want to, you know, they that's, and come to find out that's the issue that they, you know, they want to talk about within the, within the black community. They don't, they don't talk about it. And so thus, they think that to talk about it in that kind of way creates a stigma within itself, which is absurd. It only creates more It is absurd. And I think, you know, kids, you know, kids want to talk about those kind of things. You know, there's a lot of things they want to talk about, you know. And so... Uh, when you say yeah, when when you say that, I'm saying that those, those silences, you know, along with standing, when you start talking about uh, homosexuality uh, being, you know, not something that's not talked about, um, you know, child abuse, all of these right. things you know, become these silent conversations. Right. Uh oh. Okay, audience, you're probably listening right now. Um, I think Randall may have ended up being cut off. Yes, he was. And so hopefully he will call back. Um, And I guess we can kind of take this moment to, um, you know, maybe, you know, do a little bit of a plug. So, 
up. You can catch this show on Monday at 8 p.m. Um, and I'll be interviewing Sherry Wayne of Fin Shui Wellness Consultant. And she has a book out called Feel Good Spaces. And on the 27th, um, I'll be interviewing my uncle, um, Dr. Reverend um, Gregory Thomas. Here he is. He's back. Hi there. Hello. You're back. Hey. That's great. Okay. Yes, All it right. happens. I, 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 you know, uh, just so the audience knows, uh, Randall is so dedicated to doing this. He's actually doing this interview while he's driving. He's on a new Jersey Turnpike. Are you on a new Jersey Turnpike at this point? You say what now? Are you on a New Jersey Turnpike? Yeah, I'm on a Jersey Turnpike. I'm on like uh, exit uh, eight. Uh, yeah. Right. Something right. And you're, and you're and you're on your you're, you're on your way to DC. And so, folks, uh, Randall is so dedicated to you know to talking about um, talking about poetry and talking about art. He is actually talking and driving, and of course, he's using an earpiece, so he is driving. Oh, no question, no, no question. <laughs> no question about it. But yeah, so just to get back to where we were talking, uh, you know, the whole question about you know silences, you know, conversations that are not had. Um, I'm finding, you know, I, I'm finding that you know that we are just now as a community. Be- beginning to talk about um, anything having to do with sexuality, you know. um, And so, you know, the idea of talking about HIV transmission and talking about safe sex, you know, I guess it would be considered to be outrageous if you're not accustomed to to talking about it with with your children. Um, Right. It also means that you got folks who are really not willing to admit to themselves that their children are sexually active. Right. Yeah. But I think, too, I mean, I think, too, it comes with the stigma of, you know, of, you know, the whole, whole, you know, gay thing, which is absurd still in 2013. I mean, almost 13, and, you know, you still got the same, you know, and not saying as much as before, but there are, I mean, there's still pockets where we got a lot of work to do, you know. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. I mean, you know, and and I think that you know our community, you know, needs to needs to work on that. It needs to work on you know on you know uh, countering the you know the text that says you know um, you know the shaming is you know is the order of the day. The shaming is how you you know you control people or you you keep people silent. You know, instead of um, actually acknowledging that, you know, it is happening. Our children are, you know, uh, getting themselves into some situations that maybe they're not ready for. You know, right. I find, you know, it, 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 it's interesting. I actually grew up in a very strict Protestant Christian household, but despite all of that, my mother, my father was, was not willing to really talk about it, you know, that's another conversation. But my mother made it her business to talk about um, birth control. And, of course, her mattress, I would prefer that you wait until you're married. But if you're going to have sex, you need to use birth control. 
you need to protect yourself. And, and you know, that was remarkable for somebody, um, you know, you know, uh, for for a parent doing that, um, you know, during the early eighties. But my mother's a nurse, and so from her perspective, it was just a matter of it's a, it's a matter of course. It's it's it, there's never a question as to whether you talk to your your children about, um, you know, um, say that, you know. Um, protecting yourself against STDs, protecting yourself against unwanted pregnancy. And so I think that more parents need to do this. I find it disturbing um, that when I first started teaching, uh, you know, at UDC, you know, and I'm teaching this composition course and, you know, students you know, interest. You know, they have an interest in writing about controversial topics, and find it quite disturbing to hear students talk about how they believe that masturbation was going to cause something to happen to them, or that condoms don't work. This is the impact of abstinence-only education. You get some of the nuttiest kinds of of you know information and. Where 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 are students getting this? So if they're not learning, uh, if they're not if they're not getting it in, in the school, they're getting it from the street, or they're getting it from the churches, and the churches are not are not providing any um, any useful information. And so that means that you've got young people who are at risk. And so this is not it's not a game, um, as you know, HIV transmission in the Washington metro area is. I mean, the numbers are staggering, particularly right. among um, among young people, um, and so it, it's it's something that does need to be talked about. And so, I would encourage you to continue to you know to push forward and to not you know and to not not give up because it's a message that needs to be heard. Well, I mean, no, I mean, that, and that's part one of the things that. Um, that book, Fingernails, was is a part of a series, and um, I think the next it, it was coming out. It came out through the through the Gwendolyn Brooks Center for Black Literature and Writing in Chicago State, uh, but it was uh, published by Third World Press. Um, yes. But and that's part of a series, and the, the in the last one I didn't edit that one. That one was um, Spaces Between Us with uh, Michael Hunter and um, Kelly Norman Ellis. But Hunter helped me with. Mm-hmm. I did the first one, uh, me, Michael uh, Hunter, and uh, Becky Thompson. Uh, mm-hmm. And so they actually have one more plan uh, in that series. But they began. It's interesting. Like when I was at Chicago State, uh, I was working. I was uh, working on the journal uh, Warpland, uh, which takes its name after the uh, Gwendolyn Brooks poem "Sermon in the Warpland." Mm-hmm. And. Uh, and so we decided uh, they had gotten some something, some kind of way. Uh, we we gotten some grant money, and they wanted to do devote part of the issue to on HIV AIDS. Uh, and so we did a call for work. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we noticed uh, when we got to work, and we had enough, we had enough for more than a journal. I mean, a, a section of a journal. 
this was like mm-hmm. borderline, you know, an anthology and stuff. So we decided to redo the call and cast a wider net and uh, reach out globally. You know, mm-hmm. we were able to uh, reach out to Dennis Brutus, uh, who was a greater South African poet that just passed away. He was almost nine. I think he passed away about two years ago now. Uh, Dennis Brutus gave us a piece. That was, uh, you know, very huge for us. But anyway, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so it became something bigger. And so that's where I thought we begin to realize that people got a lot to say. People got stuff to talk mm-hmm. about. And, and, right. and the stories were very interesting. Um, um, just, 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 you know, just I'm just thinking about some of them that we got submissions from Nigeria, from Africa. Um, you talk about, you know, the stigma of being cast out of one's um, you know, society that doesn't want to have AIDS, you know. I mean, literally have to leave the village, you know. I mean, crazy. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, anyway, um, so, so I say that to say that Chicago State, that the Gwendolyn Book Center is doing a lot of good work with that. Um, and so they should be coming out with another. So, um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, all right, so um, believe it or not, we've been talking, we've talked for well over, well over an hour, um, as I told you, um, as I told you when we, when we talked on the phone earlier today, time goes by quickly when you are on uh, on this show. Uh, and so, yes, yes, indeed, yes, indeed, and so... We're coming around towards the uh, towards the end, and so I want to kind of um, kind of give you a chance to talk about um, your book that's coming out, or well, your work that's coming out in in February, and of course also to tell people, you know, how to get to this panel this, uh, discussion on poetry um, for tomorrow. Well, yeah, it's going to be at the, the convention center. Uh, the panel, the poetry panel, it starts at noon. Tomorrow, uh, the DC convention, Washington DC Convention Center. I don't know the exact. Um, I guess um, it's the office pavilion. You know, it's not hard to find. It's like anybody from the office right. pavilion. Yeah, and okay. so um, and that's at noon. That's from noon to one thirty. Um, that's the hour slot. Okay. Um, but they have stuff going on all day. But our slot is from twelve to one thirty. Um, and I got. Um, I had a, you know, I had an excerpt from my memoir that came out, uh, Roxbury, um, which deals with my time in conservation in Town. And that's what Caddy Waffles Press out of Cleveland, Ohio, which is I'm very proud of that publication. Uh, Caddy Waffles is a film press uh, by Sammy um, Greenspan. And mm-hmm. They do good work. Um, and she, I, she I, hate to inter- I, hate, I hate to interrupt you, but could you repeat that? Because you... Kind of broke up on us. So, okay. Um, uh, t- I, was t- about t- my, I was telling about uh, my, an excerpt from my yet to be published memoir. It deals in chapbook form. It's called Roxbury. And it deals okay. with my time uh, incarcerated uh, in Town in uh, Maryland. Um, okay. And, and so it's a self contained section. It's a chapbook. Uh, it's about 40, 30 some pages. And. Um, so that's that's available with Caddy Wampus Press, um, and you can just Google that or Google Roxbury around the horse. You know, 
you find it. Uh, and okay. I have a book okay. coming out with Northwestern University Press in February. It's called Pitch Dark Anarchy. And uh, it's sort of like, uh, it, it, it's, you know, Pitch Dark or Anarchy can act as another force for a lot of things. But at its very essence, it's about the anarchy of language. And I'm sort of trying to deconstruct it. Yeah, to sort of like to deconstruct the notions of, deconstruct the constructions of, 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 of race and gender and identity in some kind of way, play with location. Um, so the poems um, do a lot of that work. It starts off with a, um, a prologue uh, poem from, um, and deals with the Amistad. Okay. Uh, and sort of talks about, you know, that anarchy, that anarchy or that, that revolt, sort of like, you know, sort of like I use that as sort of the idea of, like, um, revolting language, you know what I mean? So um, that comes out in February. You can pre-order it now. It's actually the pre-order. You can go to Amazon or a host of other places and pre-order that one uh, probably for, for a discount. Um and so, yeah, so that's that's what I got coming out. All right, all right. Well, that is absolutely splendid. Randall, I really do appreciate you coming on board tonight and joining, hey, my pleasure. Um, joining the show. Thanks for and the talk. You're going to have to talk to you. Yes, I'll, and I, I just, you know, back at you for that one. Definitely. Uh, we're going to have to do this again. Um, yeah, no question yeah. about it. And um, and I'm thinking that, you know, when your work comes out in February, um, you know, have you back on the show and you can uh, read from your work and, and you know, hear, and hear, more, uh, uh, hear more about that. And I think um, in our next, next show, talk a bit more, you know, about, you know, your, your experience, you know, and <laughs> there's a reason why we didn't even get a chance to talk about, um, you know, your, your, uh, yeah, your, your time. Mean, and it, it's, it's, we, we've had so much to talk about, but so um, I'm quite sure, it. yeah, well, I'm quite sure the audience would like to uh, know more about it. Um, yeah. And talk about how, you know, you went from that particular point in your life you know, to becoming a professor, mm-hmm. to becoming, yeah. um, you know, a, a well-known poet, you know, and well on your way to becoming world-renowned, you know what I mean? You know, and so I, I, I'm, you know, I'm like this, you know, if you can make it from that particular point that so many men in our community have have ended up at, move from uh-huh. that particular point, you know, to making those achievements, you know, you can inspire um, other men in our community to do the same oh, yeah. thing. And other women in our community who have been at low points in their lives and moved from one particular position to that of, you know, of, of you know, of success and happiness, right. really. And so right. I think that that's, that's a story that we need to explore in the next time you're um, on this show. So um, I want to remind the audience that this show is available on iTunes for for download. Um, And also 
Do uh, remember to click on follow when you come to Blog Talk Radio. Um, and, you know, do catch us Monday. Um, and also catch us on um, the 27th. So you can catch us, um, you know, on the, I guess that's the 24th. Is Monday is Monday the twenty fourth or is that the twenty third? I don't know. I got, I'm not even I sure. Twenty third. Yeah, I have to. I yeah, I have to look at that myself. But do catch us next week. Um, come back and you know and, and catch us. And if you're interested in knowing more about uh, Dr. Randall Horton's work, um, click on those links that I have provided on this on this show and go out and get. His work. That's most important. Thank you, Randall. Have a wonderful evening, and please have a safe drive. And give okay, me a holler when you get in this get into town. Too. I, okay. I will, Doctor. I'll give you a holler when I get in town. I promise. All right. Take care, sweetheart. All right, Jerry. Take care, Doctor. All right. Bye-bye. Good night.